welcome to or welcome back to Physiosyncrasy, guys. Today on the show, we have Angie. Angie was originally an exercise physiologist who then did further study to become a physio. In today's episode, we discuss being wary of complacency, the fundamentals for good communication, such as limiting the number of messages we deliver, as well as strategies to build a conducive patient relationship, including setting up an equal playing field. Let's dive in. Welcome to Angie on this episode of Physiosyncrasy. Um, Angie, give us a bit of a background on your professional life. So I did um, a, an undergrad degree, which is a Bachelor of Exercise Physiology degree at UNSW. And then I worked as an EP for a couple of years. Um, and then I went back and did postgrad physio um, at Macquarie Uni. Took three years. Um, and then from there, we moved over to Perth for my husband's work. I was working, um, initially working in hospitals <clears throat> in Sydney, and then um, moved over here. There wasn't a whole lot of hospital work, so I just got a job in a clinic. Um, I was there for six months, and then Damo approached me about starting up um, Guardian Physio, and that's been two and a half years. Yeah, nice. So the exercise phys undergrad before progressing to physio, you sort of mentioned um, in the brief summary you gave me prior that you felt a little bit limited solely with that as an undergrad and what was it about it that you felt you couldn't achieve? I think it was the clinical knowledge. I didn't feel like I had no grasp of um, much clinical knowledge. There wasn't a whole lot um, in terms of professional development opportunities. And then just sort of limitations within the actual profession, within the actual profession as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's only exercise prescription, so there is obviously a, a huge range of things that um, treatment option, treatment options, and opportunities for various people in various professions. So I just wanted to explore that a little bit more. Yeah, broaden who you can help. Yeah, in a sense, and yeah. offer them different management strategies rather than just exercise that yeah. sort of thing yeah now that you're a physio or you've been a physio for a while now do you feel like you've ever overcome many of those limitations have you uncovered new ones uh yeah absolutely and definitely there's a lot more a lot more to uncover as well mm. um that's what i really like about the profession is um its scope is very vast broad and vast like I did a placement in paediatric burns in uni and I didn't yeah. even know that was an option. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, the, yeah, the, the opportunities are uh, a lot broader um, and I think I've only really just touched, scraped the surface so far. It's one of the challenges as well, the, the vastness. It can be a little bit, firstly, hidden, mm. but also overwhelming, mm. having so much scope. Like, how do you know you're going to like pediatric burn or how do you know that, that exists mm. how do you know if, you, if you're gonna like it if you haven't been exposed to it yeah that's what's quite good having I guess having that opportunity to work in sort of public systems and hospitals is to get a lot more of that exposure yeah nice and well. broad yeah what skills are you currently working on developing clinical skills are always ongoing yeah that's taken a bit of a backseat at the moment and probably will over the next 12 months as well hopefully not too much but um, with the couple of new staff that have come on in the last couple of months, 
definitely um, that sort of leadership and management. Those leadership management skills are definitely something that I mm. wasn't anticipating to come across so quickly. And there's definitely an area that requires a lot of developing text time. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at at the moment. It's a good one that you can practice all the time, though, because it's <clears throat> something that you're always faced with. Yeah. With the growing workforce. and Absolutely. Sort of like there's lots of opportunity for self-reflection with it as well. And then um, our boss is a really good mentor too. Um, I identify uh, quite closely with her style and mm. strategies, especially when in, in our current role, when you've got quite a number of managers who are working quite closely and you can see the difference between them all mm. quite, quite clearly. And um, fortunately, um, we I definitely identify most with, with hers. Yeah. Which is... Fortunate. Same sort of wavelength. Mm. Yeah. But enough difference as well, I, I imagine. Mm. That. So you you did your post, uh, so you went on and did a post-grad physio degree and you mentioned that it was quite a forward-thinking course mm-hmm. and, and they were really making an effort, the, the you know, the curriculum designers and the, the, the people involved to make it innovative and world-class. What, mm-hmm. what made it so in your opinion? So the staff, I was only in the second cohort to go through that degree at the time. Um, and the staff had all come from Sydney Uni. Um, and there's like 250 students in Sydney in the Sydney Uni degree. Yeah. Their purpose of starting a new degree was to move away from outdated styles of teaching, outdated um, philosophies behind physiotherapy, um, and then obviously the, the size of the cohort as well, they felt that they didn't have any sort of personal interaction yeah. with the students. Um, so they um, developed a curriculum at Macquarie Uni, which went for three years, which aligns with American standards for qualifications. Um, they have to do a three-year postgraduate degree to be qualified as a physical therapist. And then also that meets... Um, the third year also means that if we want to go on to do a PhD, we don't have to do it. We don't have to do mm. a two-year um, master's of research. Yeah. Um, you can just go straight into a PhD, um, which aligns with the European standards as well. The cohort was only of sixty people, yeah. so there definitely was that personal interaction uh, amongst the students, amongst all the students, and then also with the staff as well. The layout, the layout was. The layout of the um, resources were of medical grade because they're looking at introducing a similar style for a new medical degree. With that as well, there's a very nice kind of easy flow into the into the lectures and into the staff between staff and students, so mm. that um, kind of open plan made you feel very comfortable and very they were very approachable. If people were falling behind, sort of, if people were getting sort of 60 to 60% in their marks, they'd pull their, they'd pull their students in and try to work out what they can do to improve their marks. So they took on a lot of um, uh, accountability on themselves for the students' results. And then they had other sorts of programs, like they had this thing called a hawk, which is where uh, students um, were, were teamed up with a member of the community for six months at a time. And so basically everything that you were learning in, in class, you were then being able to replicate with a, a member of the community who 
had some kind of ailment or disability or wow. um, condition That's pretty cool. um, to be able to reflect that in, in real time yeah. as well. Also had a number of, I guess, guest lecturers coming in too who are at the top of the field and very much promoted this idea of producing students who were sort of at the forefront and, and wanting to create leaders in healthcare yeah. overall as opposed to just kind of working for the sake of working. Yeah, nice. Mm. It almost sounds like the fact that it was a clean slate degree starting mm. so fresh that they had the opportunity to build it exactly as they wanted. They mm. did a lot of planning by the sounds of things to align it to the various standards of the world. And a lot of feedback too. They saw a lot of feedback yeah. too. That's really cool. That's probably the trouble with those existing physio courses at universities that have been around for decades mm. is so hard to make wholesale changes and it's more those small iterations that they make each year mm. but it sometimes maybe a little bit too slow mm. relative to something like that you went through it's mm. pretty cool yeah it was um yeah i thoroughly enjoyed it once you finished physiotherapy the course did you set yourself particular goals mm, not really i was still trying to find my feet um i really wanted to get into the neuro team at the prince of wales hospital which I was offered the job, but then my husband told me we were moving. So I had to give that up. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't get the chance then? No. I was there for a couple of weeks and then that was it. Yeah. Is that something you still want to pursue? Getting more, what, something you're sort of doing now anyway, in a sense, more neuro stuff? Yeah, I think it's, um, I really enjoy the, marry, the marriage between sort of uh, rehab neuro rehab and musculoskeletal rehab mm. I like to kind of mix uh, I bring in a lot of the principles of neuro yeah. into musculoskeletal if, I guess if the opportunity arises I'm always looking for opportunities yeah. here and there so probably not something that I'd actively pursue at this stage but again if the opportunity arises I'd look yeah, into it for sure so your initial experiences of physio was no. in the hospital mm -hmm. what were the main lessons that you pulled from, from the hospital scene Probably um, it reinforced the teamwork required in healthcare within the physiotherapy department and then also within the wider team that you're working within as well and that communication amongst everyone as well, including sort of the patient and their carers and families. What were the lessons? Mm. Probably the other one is that there's no sort of one one mm. uh, recipe fits all people yeah. as well. Ability to be a bit creative with how you, especially in your eye, I imagine. It's yeah, yeah. Definitely no cookie cutters there. No, and then I guess also as well as um, not getting complacent. Probably the big learner as well, which yeah. I wanted to get the other day. <laughs> yeah. Not getting complacent with anyone and not sort of thinking that you are able to mm. fully expect what's going to happen, you need to be able to have contingency plans for when things go askew. It's a big one, eh? Hey? I think with patient management, we're sort of good at asking questions when we're not sure, but we don't often ask questions when we think we're sure. Mm. And that can be a, that can be a problem. Like mm. it's, it's fine if you, you think you have the right management plan and things are tracking along, but even then I think it's worth asking someone the question what would you do in this situation? Have mm. I missed anything? Because mm. otherwise, stuff like that does happen. All of a sudden, it's um, two or three months, and what you thought should have been 
Dying dust is still lingering. Yeah, I'll give you a really simple example. Um, the other day, um, so in at St. John of God the other day, um, Haley had handed over a patient to me and she said, yep, she's fine. She's day one post-surgery. She's fine. Um, she's due to go home tomorrow. Can you just check that she can do stairs? It's like, yeah, that's fine. I got her up and we went to go do stairs, but I didn't do a full um, motor assessment because she was getting up and walking around fine. And then she went to wait bear onto her right foot on the first step and then her knee collapsed and then she kind of fell onto the stairs and then there was this whole big bureaucratic process that happened afterwards. Yeah. So I really, I shouldn't have, obviously the handover is good, but I should have done my own more thorough assessment yeah. beforehand. Yeah. That's an example of complacency. Yeah. Slips in for sure, doesn't mm. it? You spend a fair bit of time educating. You mentioned before management as well. Uh, what what have you learned about being a good educator, not only to the patients that you work with, but also the colleagues that you work with? What are the keys to education? Just getting across sort of one or two messages at a time, sort of prioritising what your messages are and then only sort of going through one or two at a time. The type of language that you use is really important in asking the person if they understand or even ask them to repeat in their own way, in their own words, the message that you're trying to get across. Your education is most powerful when it's in real time coinciding with um, change that occurs at the same time, if that makes sense, which is kind of the theory behind cognitive functional therapy. Um, so if you're educating a, if you're education, educating a patient, they will They'll absorb it easier and more quickly if you're able to educate them at the same time as doing something that's able to influence what they're wanting to change as well, which is more commonly not um, pain. What would be an example of that? So just a classic example is like fear of bending. If you're able to show someone that you can, if you're trying to uh, debunk their myths or trying to remould their beliefs or if you're trying to reduce that fear associated with bending if you can do that education uh, at the same time at when you can then improve their bending then you're going to get that reinforcement yeah and that message is going to come across a lot quicker yeah makes it much more real doesn't it yeah another example i had the other day um was someone who was really allodynic in the low back and um they're expecting massage and then I was trying to explain to them, you know, their six months post-injury, I was trying to explain to them why a massage wouldn't be beneficial. And that's not until you get through the assessment and show them how allodynic they are, that then they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So what happens in an example where you're trying to debunk a myth like the dangers of bending for lower back pain, mm -hmm. and at that time bending is painful for them, mm -hmm. what approach would you use in that situation, not just that direct example, but ones where it's difficult to have a real-time, real-life example where you can demonstrate change or what you're trying to say? So I use a lot of, I guess, empathetic talk. I explain to them about sometimes I'll make it up, sometimes it's true, but sometimes I'll make it up, um, yeah. about what people who um, have similar presentations have been like. Yeah. So a classic example is obviously a lot of teachers and usually teachers usually feel uh, overworked and under-resourced. And so I tend to, when those kinds of, that sort of dialogue starts to come out of the person, then I'll kind of empathise and say, this is what a lot of other teachers who I've worked with have said the same thing. Provide them with other resources. 
like um, videos or articles or infographs. Uh, and I guess the other main thing is just repetition, just mm. repeating. Mm-hmm. Like if there's one thing that you're trying to reshape, just repeating that yeah. over and over again. Slightly different ways maybe as well. Mm. You mentioned the leadership piece a little bit earlier. What do you think are the key attributes to being a good leader? From what I've learned in my limited experience so far is appreciating that we don't have all the answers and it's better to use the gather ideas from the team, exploring the ideas from the team and sort of making that happen as opposed to a more dictating. Mm-hmm. What's the word? Dictatory? Yeah, that is the word. <laughs> I don't know. I know what you're Dictatorship to say. style? Yeah. <laughs> and seeking feedback in that space as well. Yeah. What works, what doesn't work. Using your resources, you know, using mm. those around you. <clears throat> um, you know, everyone has different interests and different passions and, um, and different ideas. And I think you're foolish to think that you've got all the answers and I'm definitely not in the scope, in the place to think that I've got all the answers at all. So, and then I'm, I guess you're, you're working for the team as well. So you want to be seeking feedback to, or seeking ideas to try and improve so the team's experience to ultimately improve the whole, yeah. the whole system's experience. Uh, the one thing that you touched on before was complacency. Uh, and I think that, somewhat goes hand, hand in hand with um, sort of being having the ability to be vulnerable as a, mm-hmm. as a clinician and as a physio. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, this is something that Chris brought up actually, he says, and it, it resonated with me, the fact that physios typically aren't that good at being wrong or vulnerable. Mm. Would you agree with that? And why do you think that is? I would definitely agree with that. Um, I try not to... Um, I don't think I... Um, I, I think vulnerability is a good thing. Historically, I don't think physios have been very good at showing vulnerability. Yeah. I guess a good example is um, historically it's always been on the physio and your patient. You know, you do what I say. You have to do this. If you don't do this, these are the repercussions. Um, yeah. They kind of put themselves on a pedestal, and that's one of the reasons why I like the type of work that we do is because we have to come into the person's home environment and we have to work harder to be able to be accepted into their environment as opposed to them coming into the clinician's environment which is very sterile Mm. it's the same four walls it's actually something i learned from my dad um but he has the same sort of philosophy and i think that equal playing field allows that level of vulnerability one thing that i always try to do with patients is try to even if I know, say, during during a conversation, they sort of bring up something or there might be a painting or there might be a dog or whatever, um, I'll always ask the patient and get them to explain something to me. Even if I know what they're talking about, um, I'll always sort of act dumb and get them to explain something to me. So it's that kind of teaching yeah. um, backwards and forth. You're not, um, you're, not yeah, <coughs> you're both teachers. You're not, they're not the student. Mm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Mm. So it could be something mundane around their house is that what you're saying like oh what's what would be an example of of them teaching you something there's a chronic knee patient pain patient of mine who um was plumbing the other day and then um no he was painting his back fence and then i was telling him about how we our back fence is all asbestos i was just getting him to educate me on Uh appropriate paint types for trying to see all asbestos 
next time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then that's a conversation you can carry on. So next time he'll be yeah. like, oh, how's your paint going? How's your fence? And it's like, oh, yeah, I've done this, I've done that. Yeah. Whether I have or not, I'll always kind of yeah. keep that conversation going. Um, Acknowledging their expertise <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing as well is, um, like, I'm not afraid to say to patients um, when I'm not sure of something. Yeah. Um, I'm not afraid to let them know that, we need to see how something goes before we then make a plan or um, I'm not afraid to let them know that I'll seek help from elsewhere. And the feedback I've had from that is um, has always been positive. I think people appreciate it. Yeah. And then it becomes a little bit more of a collaborative discussion between yourselves yeah. as opposed to this is how it's going to be. Yeah. I don't think physios are very good at being vulnerable to each other. That was, that was the main that you actually went down a different path there because that was what Chris was implying when he was when we were discussing vulnerability mm. was the ability to there's not that discussion about the mistakes that we make mm. often it's it's not a common one that we have and when we see senior physios or colleagues because there's not that sharing we think they're perfect and then if we stuff up we're like oh man like what am I doing wrong mm. we don't often share our mistakes I know mm. it's something I've experienced and I've been guilty of as well. Mm. Just not, and that was one of my questions: is what what's the biggest stuff up? You yeah, know, sharing sharing times you punctured someone's lung accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done that one yet, but um, I always like to get like other physios' feedback, like when I've gone away or when they've called for a patient. I always like to get their feedback. Um, a good example is I've got a patient at the moment; she's got CRPS in the whole right leg. And the side and the pain side and the pain numbness is starting to come onto the left leg as well. And then um, over the last couple of weeks when I've been on and off work, Amy's been covering for me. So it's been really good to mm. get her thoughts um, and kind of work a little bit more collaboratively. I think you're naive to think that you um, have all the answers. Like there's such, there's so many things that can work for someone and not work for someone. And there's not always a right or wrong. And so I think it's always, you can just kind of get stuck in your own rhythm yeah for sure sometimes I pro- you probably even find it when you shadow another physio or work with another physio all of a sudden you're using some of the stuff that they've used in their approach mm. and it's, it's um and it becomes part of your practice as well yeah yeah I was really fortunate because um I started it with Amanda so I had her as like a clinical yeah. mentor to start off with I've ended up doing quite a lot of the same courses that she's done just you just kind of adopt other people around you yeah we're nearly out of time, so we'll finish off with one last question, mm-hmm. and that is, what, in your opinion, do you think is a key to a long career? Enjoying what you're doing, and then also challenging yourself, and um, I guess balance, balance between work and not work, changing what you're doing, trying to seek new, trying to um, seek new and different opportunities as mm-hmm. well. And I guess taking breaks as you need to as well. Yeah. Pretty good stuff. Thanks for your time, Angie. It's okay. I'll take you on another time to get the rest of these questions. I can keep going. You you sure? Yeah, that's fine. What are some of the keys to good patient outcomes? Education, definitely. Keeping your approach individualized to the person. Yeah. If you're trying to get them to do something that they don't want to do, they're not going to do it. Yeah. Honesty and vulnerability, which we talked about, and being honest about when things how things would normally progress. If they're not, then being honest and identifying that let's try and get another opinion or something like that. 
Yeah, I'd probably say education yeah. would be the number one. Yeah. Mm. And that can be, I'm not just talking sort of like education around a pathology or pain or whatever. I think reassurance is really undervalued. Yeah. Um, so within that as well. It's amazing how different people present from one session to the next just when you've gone through reassurance and letting them know that they aren't going to have this sort of ailment for the rest of their life. Yeah. Mm. The one thing that you sort of touched on earlier was the the fact that some people have an expectation of physios, hands-on care, for example, and education is something used to address address that or... or do you find there's certain things that work really well for realigning expectations or do you sometimes satisfy what they expect in order to you know move to the next step mm, yeah so you tend to negotiate yeah um so if someone has the expectation that they require something you're going to lose them straight away if you tell them that they're completely wrong yeah. um so there needs to be an element of negotiation in yeah. there as well compromise mm. Thanks so much for your time, Angie. Let's go. Let's spend an extra two minutes. (laughs) A big thanks to Angie for her time. If you like this podcast, please hit the like button. And if you think someone else will find the content useful, please share this podcast. If you have feedback or suggestions, leave a comment or review. Stay tuned for more content. Juicy.